are you asleep at the wheel or are you navigating your way towards some goal? If not, how do you come up with the goal? How do you get there? How do you start actually executing towards that goal? So all that and more in this episode of Plays Well With Others. So hang out with us. We'll roll the intro and then we'll come right back. All right, so this uh, this episode may go off the rails because <laughs> Jess can't breathe and I've not slept. <laughs> Allergy so, reasons, not like anything else. <laughs> no, although please come up with your own creative answers for why she can't breathe in the comments. <laughs> for why I'm a creepy mouth breather this episode, I'm sorry, in advance. <laughs> Well, so the FDA took all of the decongestants off the shelves, so maybe that's I part of it. I saw that. Turns out they weren't helping anyways, right? That's what they say, but I've taken a lot of DayQuil, and it works really well. I'm just saying. <laughs> or maybe it makes me feel better. Placebo maybe, maybe effects? Is, Who knows? Yeah, this this is all big pharma, and they're they're. I mean, frankly, conspiracy. give me an Altoid and tell me it helps, and I might feel a little better. Who knows? Well, okay. Maybe. Here's the future to the opioid e- epidemic. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we so, had a topic today, though, that was did, unrelated to my breathing struggles. <laughs> maybe maybe slightly related. I don't know. But so we introduced the topic already, fortunately. But there's a lot to this one, right? So essentially, we asked the question, how do you how do you actually build and execute on strategy? Just a bunch to that, right? Right. Right. The the question came to mind. I, I've spent the last four or five days at at a conference here in Nashville, and I've commuted into Nashville in the morning for the first time in years, and I don't miss that. But the thought came up because my colleague that went with me to the conference, he's in sales, and he sends me all of these these tech platforms, and he says, "Here, take a look at this. Take a look at this. Take a look at this," and the more I started getting into the mindset of watching out for the industry, what's going on out there, the more I started realizing that, hey, what I thought was my strategy isn't quite on point. You know, there, most of it is still accurate and largely successful, but there, there are nuances and details. I'm like, okay, well, paying attention, imagine that seems to help me build some some degree of awareness. And the comment that he had, we, we sat with a vendor that we absolutely had no no intention of purchasing because we have a giant internal team that fills the purpose of that, that vendor. <laughs> There's no reason for it. But basically, we told the guys, we have a giant internal team that already does this. And he says, well, why are you here, more or less? And my colleague just says, you know what? We, we'd like to see what everybody else is doing. We don't always have the best mousetrap, so let's be aware. And that stuck with me and has stuck with me for a few days because we don't. We don't always have the best mousetrap. Mm-hmm. And whether we have a strategy today, whether you have a strategy today or not, you should always be paying attention considering how the, your industry is changing yeah, and then acting accordingly. So maybe it's, let's start from square one. 
Let's start from square one and say, say you don't have a strategy today. How do you build one? Jess, I'm going to let you kick us off here with your opinions because I know you've done this. Yeah, it's it's so fun to start building a strategy and it's also so overwhelming and scary. <laughs> but I think the important part is you start looking like you're like Andrew's talking about, you start looking outside of what you're currently doing because you already know what you're doing now, right? You already have an understanding of what your baseline is. So there's a lot that you can learn about, you know, market conditions, about what other companies are doing, how other companies are handling things. Um, that's a good thing. That's a good place to start. Um, another thing is looking at where are my pain points? Where are bottlenecks in my current processes? What are the things that are causing us to find delays or have issues? Where are we running into our biggest manual errors? Things like that can be a good place to start when you start talking about strategy as well. And then you start combining the two and all of a sudden you have, oh, wow, like <laughs> this is like starting to shape into something that might be really valuable for our company. When you can marry tools with issues, it's not just a shiny object that you're looking at trying to acquire because you like the tool. It's actually solving a true business problem that you have or helping you advance in an area the industry is moving in or whatever the case may be. I mean, there's a whole lot to like looking at market trends and things like that to that are always going to play a part in it. But there's a lot you can do just looking internal and looking external at what your competitors and other vendors that are solving problems that you might have that can help you kind of build a basis for building a strategy. At, at the end of the day, you're never going to be able to know for sure that your strategy is the right path. But if you can focus on the things that are bottlenecks in process, things that you know are going to be big industry changers, things that are going to be table stakes for your industry in the next few years that you want to go ahead and get a handle on. Um, if you start there, you can always reassess as you move forward. And I think that's something really important about a strategy is you plan long term and then you do milestone updates over quarters to try and gauge your progress, to make sure you're still moving the right direction, uh, so on and so forth. I think there was a component in there that you brought up that I don't want to I don't want to gloss over. So first step, first things first, you have to start with what do you want to accomplish? What right. what do you what's the goal? Because so many industries that haven't necessarily been strongly disrupted in the past, mortgage lending is one of them. You tend to get hung up on, well what's the other guy doing? I'm going to do more of that. And then you get into this cyclical process of, well, good good market, I sell loan products. Bad market, I stick my head in the sand. Good market, I, and so, you just do the same thing and you grow and contract with the industry. So here, here's an issue that you're talking about that I, if you're looking to beat the other people in the industry, if you're looking to be number one, you've already kind of missed the point because that starts to think that there's some way to win at this game of business. And there's not, right? It's about staying in the game. It's about long-term keeping your company relevant, keeping your company moving in the right direction, and being able to weather storms. As a person in the mortgage industry, we are well acquainted with having to weather storms. It's always a cycle. There's always ups and downs in the mortgage industry. And the companies that survive those are the ones who can do two things. One, already have a diverse platform 
and they can easily pivot to something that they already do that's now more profitable than something that they used to do. Or two, and potentially two, agile companies who can move quickly and adapt rapidly to change. Those are the ones that are going to succeed and continue through those changes. Right. That That's the key. You know, it's not, you don't want to just maintain status quo. It's not just staying in the game, right? It's also being able to respond to market conditions and doing things better than, stay in the than game. you did. It is, but also you've, you've been in the mortgage industry long enough. You know, there are lenders out there that they're staying in the game is, is remaining flat. And that's not what I'm talking about. So it's, it's good that right. you brought that up because I mean, you could talk about blockbuster and that's not right. They, they were trying to stay in the game by doing what they've always done. And Netflix literally put them out of business. Right. Staying in the game is not continuing to do what you've always done. That will not keep you in the game long term. That is a recipe for extinction. So that staying in the game means you need to be adaptable and you need to be relevant within the market. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where the longer you draw out the the look forward, the more likely the more impactful that statement has. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're talking about a 5-year period for a lender or for for anybody, yeah, most businesses can probably stay in the game that long by not doing anything, by by remaining flat, especially if you're the first one to a market. You sure. can you can hang around long enough to not not screw it up that bad. But if you look out 25, 50, 100 years, oh, now you're starting to get into <laughs> to some risky business, right? So but things, let's think about new this. technologies can be a really important thing to consider when you're building a strategy too. And you made me think of that when you said 50, 100 years, because um, look at the companies that still exist in 50, 50 and 100 years later. And I know this is probably outside of the scope of this call, but I, I do think it's important to think about that when you're talking about strategy is what's new that we're not taking advantage of that might leave us left behind. AI is a big conversation piece right now. And a lot of companies are grappling with A, defining AI to their employees and B, figuring out how is that relevant to what we're doing and how can our strategy incorporate it in a way that is valuable? Let's let's consider that then. So that's that's step two, in my opinion. So step one, you've set the, the, the target end state. And depending on kind of the, the scope and granularity of your role, that target end state may be a year away, maybe three years away, maybe 30 years away, right? So then from there, you've gone to step two. Maybe it's just a milestone along maybe, the path. Maybe, but you've come up on step two, which is how do I get there? You know, what do I need to accomplish that goal? So maybe my goal is stay in the game. Maybe my goal is significantly innovate the game to a perspective that I've I've introduced new revenue streams or I've, you know, created new my business. Right. Right. So how do I do that? And that's where, that's where this gets tricky. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that's where this gets tricky. There's a lot of different ways that you can approach change and approach growth. Um, You know, you can try and grow within what you're currently doing. You can try and find new avenues to introduce business. You can try and find new markets there's a lot of different ways that your company can look into mm-hmm. how do I want to change? And then, Andrew, I think what you're talking about as well, not just how do I want to grow, but also what are the things I'm going to do to make that happen? 
Right. And that's where we've talked about OKRs. We've talked about kind of the tactical approach to this. But where I'm thinking today is really more of a um, continuity perspective. So talking about my colleague that brought up, um, you know, we don't always have the best mousetrap. As I get into the aspect of how do I accomplish my end state, you've defined the target. Now you're starting to unpack that and understand what it means. There's two things that I look at. One is how do we arrive at a technical solution? And I don't mean technology specifically. I mean, how do we arrive at a specific solution? But then also, how do you as a leader, me as a leader, how do you stay engaged on that that specific solution long enough to see it to completion? Because much in the same way that the business's goal is the company as a whole's goal is to stay in the game. In order to do that, you've got to have leadership that also stays in the game. Yeah. So how do you keep yourself from burning out? How do you keep yourself from getting shiny squirrel syndrome and going off in some other direction? And how do you keep coming back to the center to that, that specific strategy or that specific solution. So you've named a lot of pitfalls that I've seen frequently when people are talking about building a strategy. And I think being aware of the pitfalls you can run into helps a lot in mapping out your journey, right? So let's talk about a couple of them that you just mentioned. Shiny new. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be a really bad thing. Andrew, mm-hmm. I think you might be the best qualified to talk about this because most of the shiny new is shiny new technology toys. How have you seen well, this go bad? <laughs> it It is and it isn't. And I'm not going to exclude you from the hot seat on this one either because <laughs> as a product professional, your job should be to say no, right? <laughs> and we've talked about that. You've you got to be saying no to more things than you say yes to. Yeah. But it for me, it comes back to a balance of knowing what's possible, knowing what's out there, what solutions exist, what tools are out there, what technologies exist, and knowing the most pragmatic way to apply those solutions. Yeah. So going back to step one, what do you want to accomplish? How do you want to get there? You've got to start saying, all right, well, if my goal is to increase revenue, you got to spend money to make money in most cases. So I've got... In, in my head, I typically approach this like, all right, well, I'm going to do some degree of, of event-driven architecture as an example because that's what I'm in the middle of right now. I'm going to think of kind of the economy class approach, maybe the, mid, the mid-tier and then the Cadillac approach. And that's often based on cost and complexity or total cost. And then figure out, well, why would I go with the expensive solution versus the economy solution? And figure out what makes the most sense. And often in order to do that, I'm not just thinking out a year in the future. I'm thinking out five years in the future. How does this grow? And what happens if this is wildly successful and it takes off? Am I going to be able to respond to that? Or am I hamstringing myself for the future by saying, We'll spend very little amount of money and just yeah. get the bare minimum. I don't want to get run over by the demand in six months and not be able to be agile at that point. And I think it's important 
at least from a product perspective, to your point, Andrew, when you're talking about the new shiny thing, it's important to go, what is the business value you're trying to achieve with this? Because just because something's really cool doesn't necessarily mean it's going to add to your company in the way that you maybe would hope it would. So really mm-hmm. evaluating what's your return on investment, what problems am I solving, how am I going to take this thing and make it into whatever value statement and understanding what that value statement is. And I also see new shiny things go poorly when they're not implemented well. And and I don't just mean not configured and put in place well. I mean, they're not adopted. Yep. Uh, so that that's actually really timely. I just came back from the Mortgage Collaborative Conference here in Nashville, like I mentioned earlier. And so I got the opportunity to talk with owners and execs in IMBs, credit unions, banks across the country. And a big theme was everybody's asking about their Stratmore and Richie may both push, pushed out a survey that said that over the last 10 years, the increase in tech spend has not increased ROI at all across mortgage finance. And so everybody's question is, well, why the heck not? And, for me, it's fairly obvious, and it's it's a a symptom that's that's kind of and it's pervasive in the the mortgage space because you have a lot of cases where you have non technical people that are implementing technical solutions, and you're not really capitalizing on the technology itself. You're utilizing the technology as a tool and not changing how you do business in response to the tech. Yeah. And so as a result, your adoption remains low, your value remains completely unrealized because you've taken your paper problem and you've taken it and put it made it digital. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't move the needle at all, it just makes it more expensive. So, I think that's the that's the key when you talk about managing adoption you've got to start with that like you said Jess that that expectation of what do you want to get out of this and how do you how do you think that works and you're going to need to sell that to your organization and make sure that there's a plan in place to get everyone on board with it Mm -hmm. so I want to back up a little bit yeah exactly so I want to back up a little bit you we I was mentioning before that you had mentioned a couple really important pitfalls to making a strategy right or having a Mm -hmm. a vision of how you're going to achieve your strategy the first one I mentioned or you mentioned was shiny toy second one is I don't remember how you said it but basically complacency or just being comfortable with where you're at or understanding only where you're at and that I think is another really important one because if you're planning to make a strategy it shouldn't be easy. And and I don't mean that as like a, you know, it's always going to be, it, it should be a lot of work. There are a lot of yeah. things you should be looking into when you build your strategy. You shouldn't just go, oh, well, I know this industry. I've been doing this for 30 years. I know exactly what we need to do. You don't because the industry is constantly changing. I don't care what industry you're in. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly mm-hmm. changing. Technology is changing. Capabilities within tools that you maybe stopped using two years ago because you didn't like it, it might be a brand new, entirely different format for that tool. It's not going to be easy to come up with your strategy. So if you're just doing what you've always done and expect to you know, achieve something different, that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's 
you can't just roll out of bed and come up with a business strategy. <laughs> it should be a little painful because you're doing <laughs> a lot of introspection and you're doing a lot of research to check your accept your assumptions and verify mm-hmm. that what you think is actually real. We have a we we have a habit as businesses. I'm not going to say as individuals, but I think we do as individuals as well. That's kind of a dirty workbench mentality. So we start out, you move into a new workshop, you've got a brand new work table, workbench, and everything's clean, everything's shiny, everything's put where it goes, and then you start building stuff. You start working in it, and you pull the hammer off the wall, you use the hammer, you throw the hammer down, you walk over here, you grab the screwdriver, you use the screwdriver, you throw the screwdriver down. After a year goes by of that behavior, you've got tools and hammers and screwdrivers and you need the screwdriver that you had originally and you can't find it because it's under the piles of garbage. So you go buy another one and then you use it and you throw it down. And the same thing happens again and again and again and again. And then you go back and you say, I need to clean my workbench and you wipe it all down and you throw everything out and you go buy another set of tools. Because we have spent so much effort buying tools and standing up processes and reacting to market conditions or the events of the day and making what are effectively strategic decisions based on tactical input, we can get into this place of not being able to do our jobs, the thing, make the widget that makes us money in the most efficient way, as even not as efficient as when we started, because we've mucked it up for ourselves. So when you consider strategy and you start out to, or you set out to either create a new strategy or validate your existing strategy or, you know, tweak it to make it fit, you've got to take into consideration process hygiene, tool hygiene. Are, are we actually still doing the things that we need to do or have we, have we diver, diverted from, from the, the, yellow brick road (laughs) and then from there you can start once you've got a a clean foundation or a solid foundation you can start saying all right now we can innovate you've got to have a solid place to to jump from or else you're going to wind up building a house without a foundation yeah so last thing i'll say on common pitfalls that you should be aware of is the third one that i really think is important so shiny toy (laughs) being complacent or thinking that it's going to be easy or thinking that you just know the right thing. The third one is thinking that you're right and just sticking to your guns no matter what. So there's two things kind of embedded in this one. The first one is if you are CEO or COO or SVP or VP and you're like, I know our strategy and you don't pull in the experts within your company, you aren't listening to the feedback of the people that are doing the jobs or you aren't listing the feedback of your team, you're missing out on a well of information that you're already paying for. (laughs) So I can't stress enough how important it is to engage the SMEs or engage the really smart people in your organization to help you come up with your strategy or to be a sounding board for the strategy that you've come up Mm -hmm. with, whatever that looks like. Second part of this is you need to build milestones into your strategy to check your progress, whether that's CSAT surveys, so you're checking whether your scores are going up or, up or down, 
whether that's building KPIs into it, knowing the things that you want to impact and then checking and making sure you're having those impacts, you should have checkpoints along the way to go, hey, are we making an impact? You know, I've implemented 25% of the things that I wanted to do. How's it going? Are we moving the right direction? And you can change your mind at those milestones. It's perfectly reasonable to go, oh, my strategy is not working. I need to reevaluate. And that's smart business because then you're not investing millions over years and then scrapping the progress. Right. And I heard this story so many times over the la- over the weekend and over the last week. And there's there's a plus side of, of that approach and there's a downside. So I, I heard stories of of lenders trying to build their own software, build their own core origination platform spending years and millions of dollars, ultimately failing and scrapping it. And then I heard similar stories of lenders going down a path and saying, you know what, I'm going to try this new technology or this new platform for a year and then cutting the contract and saying, "Eh, I'm not going to send good money after bad. So it's, there's, there's two sides of it. And that's where just to your point, you've got to have, you've got to, have a way to communicate with the folks that are actually doing the work, actually leveraging yeah. the tech. Like we said in the last episode, the iceberg of ignorance, you've got to to focus on the problems that are going to be the most critical to your business success. So if you sign a, God help you, I, your company should not ha- be able to sign a three-year agreement for a tool or a platform the first time. Like you just shouldn't. That's actually, that's an interesting rule to have. And I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Right. Um, like, I've seen that go start really with a poorly. One-year contract. You're going to pay a little more for the one-year contract. But after a year, if you haven't seen the value and you haven't figured out that, oh, yeah, this is actually going to do what the, the sales guy told me it would, you can cut it. But yeah. if you enter into a three-year agreement, then I've got this multi-million dollar contract and it's sitting there on the shelf and it's been... I heard somebody said it's been winterized, so <laughs> it's not useful. But I like we gotta that. keep I haven't it. Heard that it's been winterized. Yeah, we, we gotta we gotta pull all the gas out of it because if at the end of the three years, if it's still not useful, then we gotta at least sell it. <laughs> oh, so there's there's give true. and take on that, right? Like it, I think that is that is super important, and I'm gonna give it a like a three A. Or a 3B, you may have already brought up a 3A. If you'll listen to this episode, you have a project manager here on the call because Jess has already given us the the numbered list, which is typically my place, but she's got the numbered list and has really distilled this down into something that I can actually consume, which is good because I'm here. Um, But I think that that is so true. And to kind of wrap this up or to wrap us up for this episode, you'll notice a, a recurring theme in all 34 episodes of Plays Well with Others. It's that you've got to be aware of what's going on. <laughs> like yeah. I've said, it's about the people, but at the end of the day, you've got to be self-aware. You've got to be aware of your team. You've got to be aware of you know where the industry, where your industry is going. Just pay attention and avoid that complacency because by paying attention, you can engage with people, you can engage with process, you can engage with 
tools and tech and all manner of things you can engage to give yourself that boost of engagement. One of the most, one of the most important things I think any business can do is cultivate a culture of collaboration. Genuinely being able to share and be open about your ideas and your perspectives, being kind in that collaboration, everyone's pulling in the same ship everyone's on the same team. We're all going for the same goals. If you can build that culture of collaboration, it genuinely, I, it's one to me, it's potentially the most important thing. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. Um, you know, you've got, you've got to have, and this is another episode, but that collaboration is what keeps you in the mindset to be realistic and be pragmatic. You can talk to people, you can be convinced that your idea is dumb, and you can move and pick a better idea, pick a better approach. If you don't have that, then you're going to be running really fast into the airport so you don't miss your flight. You're sprinting down the terminal and you get to the wrong gate. (laughs) Yep. And I have had awesome experiences with executives in the past who were passionate, maybe even a little arrogant. And had incredible ideas of their own and were passionate in in voicing those ideas. And if I said, well, here, hear me out, and I explained something different, they were willing to change their mind if it was a good idea, if it was a good point. And I I just, that is, you know, for someone at the time, I was quite young when that happened to me the first time. It was was literally like career changing for me. It gave me a huge boost of confidence, but it also gave me the perspective that I matter to an organization and I've taken that with me in every organization I've gone into. I've gone into every job I've ever had going, I can make a difference. I can do Mm -hmm. something that's going to help this company. That's incredible. Yeah. And it speaks a lot for the folks involved and you, that's how you build this intrinsic loyalty and respect for people and companies when you're treated like a person. Imagine that. Yeah. Shocking. I'm going to go ahead and land this plane here. It's been a, it's been a good conversation. I think I, you know, being able to, to kind of hash through things live. I, I like, you know, I like the, the new format. We start with a question and then we try to answer the question. We've had episodes where we've not known the answer when we started. This is one of those that I think we both had strong opinions and, <laughs> uh, you know, it didn't lead to any disagreements or anything. The, there was some disagreement maybe three or four episodes ago. I can't remember which one it was now. But <laughs> again, as I usually say, you're going to have to go back and listen to the other 33 episodes to figure out. And once you figure that out, go ahead and drop it in the comments. Let us know. <laughs> as always, we appreciate you listening, especially if you've made it this far. It's dedication that gets you through a half hour of, of podcast. So whether you're going to the grocery store, whether you're you're working out, mowing the yard, whatever it is, Thanks for listening. Give us a like, a subscribe. If you're driving, maybe don't do that. But wait till you get to your destination. <laughs> do the needful. Give us the uh, the thumbs up. Let, drop us a line in the comments wherever you find us, LinkedIn, YouTube, or the podcast platform of your choice. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Moore, joined by my illustrious co-host, Jess Agnew. This has been Plays Well With Others. Thanks for listening. <laughs>